Welcome to the School of Calisthenics podcast with your hosts, Tim and Jacko. What an absolute pleasure it was to have Scott Robinson, the brain guy, onto podcast this week. And I like these conversations because when we get a brain bod on, that's an official term, Jacko. <laughs> yeah. It gets deep and we come out with lots of questions. But with this one as well, Scott's got an incredible gift in being able to break some of this really complex neurophysiology down into really understandable takeaway messages, which you can go away and start using, which are going to start to improve just your general performance, well-being, mindset, decreasing stress, getting through five-hour Zoom calls. We talk about all of that on this week's podcast, and it was an absolute joy. And we've, if you, I'm going to tee it up now in case you don't get all the way to the end. I know how these things go sometimes. If you like what you hear and you're interested in this area, let us know because um, Jack and I would very much like to get Scott back on for a second round because I've got a page full of questions I didn't even get to ask. Yeah, I, I had the privilege of speaking to uh, Scott and uh, in, in doing a session with him. Some of you would have seen that um, on Instagram Live. We'll put the link in the show notes so you can check that out. Um, anyway, but um, yeah, it's like, where didn't we go? But the thing, but the beautiful thing about this is, Tim, when we're talking about the brain, because the brain does everything, then that means you can go everywhere. Um, and to whet people's appetite, all I'm going to say is, um, I think, Tim, I have got a new man crush to add to the list. <laughs> this guy... Right is like i'm gonna his, his instagram name is the dot brain dot guy like for me now he's just the guy like <laughs> it's, it's good you're gonna try and co- are you gonna say why don't you go and register the dot bandana dot guy <laughs> yeah right he's in he he, he is in every, every gang he's right, brain well, gang we won't go through it now but we probably need to have a bit you, you probably need to let your other man crushes know that they're being toppled off but for everybody else it's probably they can uh, they can sit back and enjoy this one. You might need a second listen. Uh, I probably need to go through this one again and, and get some yeah. more stuff out of it because there's a ton of information into it. But I'll get when we often have these conversations, we always intro them by going with an open mind, and that's the second brain gag mm. that I use in this yeah. podcast. You'll hear the other one when it comes through. <laughs> but some of this stuff we've been just bear in mind. I'm going to go. I'm going to actually look a bit about physiology and how we've been taught. Our current understanding of the brain in most parts of what we have learned in popular science and personal training textbooks is a very biomechanical model it's this is how the brain works this is a muscle it creates tension it pushes on these bones where we don't understand and where this conversation is going is actually that is all governed by the central nervous system and the brain so if we want to improve performance we need to go back a level further peel it back a bit more to understand how we affect the brain because the brain is going to control all the rest of that stuff so if you are very much like how do i get bigger muscles or bigger biceps or do this movement it starts with your brain. The answer to every single question that you've got around how you move and train, it starts with the brain. And um, Scott, I think, does a really good job at breaking some of that down. Sorry, a long intro, but I didn't get to say that in the podcast and I thought it was worth sharing. Yeah, so get a, get a pen and notebook out, sit back, relax, and enjoy Scott Robinson, a.k.a. The Brain Guy, on the School of Calisthenics podcast. Jingle. Actually, Tim, it's Roll the Jingle. But before we roll the jingle, we need to thank this week's podcast sponsors, Hemp Heroes. And uh, why don't you tell them a bit about um, how you've been enjoying that down regulation with the uh, CBD oil before going to bed? I will, Jacko. Thanks for that. Yeah, the, the guys have hooked it with some CBD oil and I've been using it a little bit in the evenings um, after I've put my little boy to bed. I've been doing quite a bit of intense computing in recent times. So it's really found that it's helped that evening period of just starting to re- down-regulate a little bit, bring it on a little bit of the relaxation, switch my mind off a touch before trying to get to sleep. Definitely sort of feeling the benefits of it and it's really helped me sort of ease into that bedtime, going to sleep kind of phase and, and mindset. So it's been a real positive addition to my uh, to my little evening setup yeah don't feel like anything like me but it's been a long time since i've slept all the way through the night but this is uh using the cbd oil has definitely helped impact like that down regulation and impact my sleep so i can actually sleep all the way through and yeah there's nothing like making you feel good in the morning by actually having a great night's sleep so massive thank you to uh hemp heroes for providing us with the cbd oil and sponsoring the podcast if you would like to um uh, to get get some of the cbd or yourself then thanks to them they've got a 10 percent discount code for podcast listeners so use code soc10 that's code soc10 for 10 percent off any of the hemp heroes products we use the uh high strength uh droplets um that are 100 vegan um full spectrum and uh 100 certified through uh, the eu regulation so it's 
100% safe and effective for you to use. And the links are in the show notes for you to use that 10% discount code or go head over to hempheroes.co.uk. Yeah, I'd encourage you to give it a whirl, guys. It's not something I've ever really used before and um, I've been feeling the benefits, but you won't know until you give it a try. Mm. So if you're curious and there's plenty of research around that to suggest what the benefits might be, give it a whirl, see if it adds something positive to your life. And if you do, then you find a little bit of a trick for yourself. Now it's time to roll that jingle. So Scott Robinson, aka The Brain Guy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to get to be with you guys. Yeah, this is um, just to give a bit of context for some of the listeners. Some will have come across you. Um, some may uh, already follow you. Some may have seen that we did an Instagram live together where you're working on my flexibility by tapping into the, my nervous system, I guess, a little bit. And um, we had a conversation before that where you, we were looking at um, the effects of trauma, like I'd mentioned about my head injury before. And so there was quite a lot went into that session or the, the outcome of that session where we did improve uh, range of motion um, quite a lot and quite significantly in a small amount of time. There's a number of different things that we touched on in terms of uh, the neuroflexibility, you did the emotional stuff, you did the, the eye position. So there's, there's all of that to just uh, unpick a little bit. But we also, in the second part of this, want to go into um, other areas that the brain can then impact on. So not just, you know, a lot of our listeners, we're all, we're interested in movement, but a lot of people are uh, interested in all aspects of, of health, wellness, and sort of all around human performance, shall we say. Um, so there's a heap of stuff that we'd like to to get into you with, but just as a starting point, um, just give a bit of a context of um, what you sort of did with me in that movement session and and just framing things around uh, the the terminology you use of uh, describing the brain of like the difference between hardware and software. Fantastic. Okay, so what we did with you, we took a, a human being who was not so bendy and made him uh, quite a bit more bendy, which was which was <laughs> exciting to get to go through with you. Um, but essentially, what we identified, we came, and this is this is really typical because you see so much of this. You see people that come into the gym and want to train, want to get you know want to get big, want to get strong, or want to get bendy, but there's just this stuff that needs to get taken care of first. There's the wear and tear from life that needs to get taken care of first, and this is what the case was with you. Jacko, you had you had all these multiple head injuries, all these concussions you'd had from your life as a as a rugby player, yeah. and it became apparent very quickly that we were really, if we wanted to get a result, um, and especially with you know a little bit of pressure on camera to make it actually show a result, we we're going to need to resolve a few things first. So we needed to essentially trigger some anti-inflammatory reflexes in the brain to turn off the sort of the the neuro the neuroinflammatory markers and so the the effects of neuroinflammation that were kind of lingering in the in the brain which then essentially allows the brain to communicate better when the brain can communicate better it can see better when it can see better then it knows what it's dealing with and it can it can make accurate decisions and there's a little concept i talk about um called neuro neurovisibility and so we talk about in mobility we always talk about that you know that distal mobility comes from proximal stability so you need the proximal stability first to be able to create that distal mobility and if you want to get the proximal stability you need good neural visit neural visibility so the brain needs to be able to see the spine needs to be able to see the nervous system and if it can see the body effectively and then it knows that it's safe and it knows that it's actually stable well then it'll allow you to have more range of movement so I guess if we were to sort of put it in 25 words or less, what we did was we increased communication in your system. We, we gave your brain the opportunity and the ability to be able to see the system and read it way more effectively, way more clearly, and then it's just at peace and it, it's and then it can allow those muscles to relax. And, you know, and and you had a, a, reason, a pretty decent result on camera, but then, you know, looking at the, the follow-up results that you had, in, you know, in the following days, you know, you were still going. You were, you were still finding more and more range. It was just a long way beyond where you were, you know, when we first got together. Yeah, and it's, it's something that, um, yeah, it, it's fascinating. If people are listening to some of this sort of stuff for the first time or if people have engaged with some of the other podcasts where we've talked to the likes of Dr. Cobb from Z Health, um, where there's just opening up this conversation that there is more the hu- the complexity of the human body is like amazing mm. and mm. if you are the type of person that is does a lot of stretching and not seeing a lot of results that there are a number of different things at play that are going to impact on your brain 
and then therefore how your brain is going to allow the rest of that that body to function so it's great to yeah it's great to hear 100 i think i think the, the easiest way to describe it is kind of um via the realization that i had when i first started with applied movement neurology and that was because I was the I was the, the personal trainer at the time who was doing a lot of rehabilitation work and trying to t- to change long term movement dysfunction, and and really like looking back, I didn't have a lot of you know lasting impacts on people. I thought I was doing a great job because I had all these wonderful these wonderful drills and you know tricks that I in my in my little toolkit. But when I look at the the long term the long term changes that I affected, it really wasn't all that many. Um, and the, what the reason for that is because I was working peripherally i was working adding peripheral movement stimulus trying to change a centrally driven signal so i was trying to get the body to move in a different way by moving an arm moving a leg and trying to get the body to trying to overwhelm a centrally driven signal coming from the motherboard coming from the central computer which is the brain and i was trying to change that by moving an arm or sent you know moving an arm moving a leg and in in a different way and trying to trigger trying to overwhelm that centrally driven signal And, and essentially in the nervous system, you can say there's there's a rough ratio of around 30 to 1. So for every one afferent signal that travels from the body back up to, to the brain, on average, there's around about 30 efferent signals that come back down. So you can kind of kind of gives you an idea of the uphill battle that you've got if you're only going to work via that sort of traditional physical therapy approach, which is just move the body and nothing and nothing else. Um, and so essentially that's, that's basically what we're looking at. If we can change the central driven signal, which is what we did with you, just go to that central computer, push the right buttons, and then you change the pattern there. And then the brain is, is happy to allow you to change the movement in the periphery. I love that. We, we often talk about finding the root cause in injury. And like you say, it's a great mm. example of physiotherapy. So if you've got knee pain, if we treat the knee, we're only ever really going to sort of, well, probably make not a huge amount of progress, but in a physiological or physiotherapy type model and, and from our background and strength and condition, often the same kind of narrative of going, well, let's, let's understand the root cause of that injury. So it could be the ankle, for example, we've got some poor foot mechanics or, or whatever it might be, but this is going a level further than that, isn't it? It's actually going, we actually, the real root cause is being centrally driven from the brain. And if we don't go that extra step further backward or back to, to sort out that, that, um, that hardware issue, as you're saying that we've got, then we're really only ever going to make so much progress in actually solving the manifestation of a dysfunction within the system. Yeah, yeah, completely. And and the thing is, and again, and this is something that again I learned in that paradigm with with applied movement neurology very early on. And those boys are really big on this, and it's such an impactful, it's such a really important lesson to learn or an important concept to get your head around. And and that's the fact that you know, you've got eighty six billion neurons in your brain. You have this incredible network of information, and all the answers that you need are there. And and as as trainers and as therapists and as sort of you know corrective exercise specialists. You know, we like to think that we have an amazing clinical eye, and we have a you know a, a real a real knack for the body, or or, or a nouse for, uh, for for deciphering movement dysfunction and working out what the body needs. But essentially, we're just guessing. When we if we're not going to tap into that information network and actually ask what what is the real answer, we're, we're just we're just basically putting our best clinical guess forward, and that, and that's more often than not that's not going to be absolutely accurate. It's not going to be one hundred percent correct. Scott, I want to jump in with a quick geek question um, because I've mm. got a book on my bookshelf, which I'm yet to read, but I'm excited to get into about brain maps. Mm-hmm. When you talk yep. before around this, of, of given the spinal cord, the central nervous system, this understanding of the system that it's dealing with, we're talking about brain maps right now. I'm pretty early mm. on in my understanding of this. Just talk to us a little bit about that because I think it's it, it really helps to illustrate that picture from mm. my understanding of like what, how is that the brain, the spinal cord actually sort of seeing movement? if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, cool. So look, the way I like to describe it to people is so first things first, you have maps in your brain. You have this, essentially the body is mapped out in the different cortices of the brain. So it's mapped out in the sensory cortex. It's mapped out in the, in the primary motor cortex. There, there are either, there are maps in the posterior sensory cortex, which map out the viscera and map out the, uh, all the connective tissues and whatnot as well. Now, those maps are described as topographical and, and they're representative, especially in the sensory cortex, they're representative so the amount of real estate that's taken up in the brain is greater in areas where there's greater sensitivity or greater dexterity. So the hand takes up an enormous amount of real estate. The lips take up an enormous amount of real estate. The genitals take up quite a bit of real estate. So do the feet. Um, you know, and then areas like your forearm or your, your upper arm or your, you know, your, your lower leg 
don't take up a whole lot of you know, take up a whole lot of space on those brain maps. Now, if you've ever seen uh, a CGI film, or at least if you've seen the making of a CGI film, you know you see that there'll be a guy in a morph suit and he's on a green yeah. he's got a green screen background and he's got all these little dots all over him that they're that the computer's reading. Um, essentially, if you were to look at that guy with all those dots, and then you know you see the the, the visual of him. And then when you look at the screen of him, there's just those dots are being plotted as he moves around, right? That's just what the cameras, the computer's picking up. That's kind of how the brain sees. So if those dots are actually the sensory receptors in the tissues, that's kind of what the brain's seeing. It's seeing all of, all of those sensory receptors and it's just getting information back from those sensory receptors and they're firing back up to the cortex and then the, and then the brain is making sense of that data. So does, does that kind of make sense if we put it, put it in that context? Mm. Perfect. Yeah, I remember right, seeing. The, um, yep. I remember seeing a. Um, it was illustrated by. Uh, it was on the Z Health course that I did, where um, I can't what they actually called it, but they had like a um, like a caricature type of picture of how does your brain see your actual body. So all those big mm. areas that you were talking about, like the lips, the hands, mm. the tongue. Yep. Like, they were all like it's massive. Called a homunculus. Oh, there you go. It was like I might yep. have to put a picture of that in the. Um, in the show notes, so people can see what it's like. It's good. It, it gives it, it brings it to life in a in a really good way, and it's interesting. Uh, it, it does. It, and if you if you look up if you look him up on Google, you look up on Google Images. I'm sure there's a few people doing right now as they listen to this. He's pretty well endowed because that's where. That, <laughs> so, yeah, um, big lips and yeah. big downstairs as well. Just yeah, like pretty much. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Just like you, Timbo, the aubergine. This <laughs> different podcast, Jacko. Yeah, sorry, forgot. <laughs> sorry, um, so just to like round off the uh, movement side of it before we, we talk a little mm. bit about uh, pain and those other areas that the brain is going to influence on, I'll put a link in so that people can see um, it, you know, in action what we actually um, mm, what we did. We did that session together. And there was two things. Obviously, we you, you did some um, PNF um, stuff, which a lot of people will be familiar with. It, whereas there was two areas that you did around um, eye movements. And then also what I found fascinating was like the emotions, like me saying three negative words made the biggest impact on my yeah. pancake position than anything else. And that is a little bit out there, a little bit voodoo, but I felt it. So I'm like, <laughs> it happened and you can watch and you it's, can see it. Um, it's on camera. Yeah, it's yeah. recorded. So it just in a like... The eye movements and the yep. like. Obviously, they're two very different things, but as you said, it's all related to in the brain, like, like yeah. in layman's so terms. Them, like, what is, yeah, one what of them, is going on? Yeah, okay, cool. One of them you're talking about is a functional neurologic stimulus, and in fact, what we're doing is we're flipping it, and we're actually inhibiting muscles using a functional neuro neurologic activation. So people are familiar with agonist and antagonist. And essentially what I did in, in neuroflexibility was uh, with that system was basically just worked out, went in and worked out all the different eye movements and the different eye positions and what muscle fibers each eye position correlates to. And then from there, if you activate certain ones, well, then the antagonist ones will be inhibited. So there'll be a specific eye position for each muscle fiber um, within a given stretch. So you were in these different specific, very specific eye positions. And then if you apply the right, the right one, we asked your system, your system told us what it needed. When you apply the right eye position and then that created an inhibitory response in the muscle. And so I guess if we're going to, again, put in layman's terms, something that people, a lot of people really aren't aware of or familiar with is that extraocular muscle function, which is the muscles that control your eyeball. So that's the, the muscles that pull your eyeball up, down, side and around. Um, those muscles, that function is intimately linked and kind of representative almost of neuromuscular function in the body. And you could say that one drives the other. So you could say that extraocular muscle function can actually drive and represent the neuromuscular function in the body or vice versa. It depends on you know where, where a particular dysfunction kind of lies. But you'll see someone who's, if you get someone to do a, a particular eye drill, so like a big circle, get them to take their eyes around in a big circle and they can't produce smooth muscle function with eyes going around in a circle, you can be almost certain there's going to be some weakness and some dysfunction in the body when you get to go and work, when, when you get to, you know, take them out to do a workout. So we just, we used a, fun, we used a functional neurologic inhibitory stimulus to relax muscles and that allowed you to sort of be, get more bendy, which was cool. And yeah, okay. then the, um, the emotional thing you touched on, that is really case in point as to why you need to test and why you need to ask the brain what it wants. Because the really cool thing about your case, Jacko, was that 
you know, for most people, when you add a happy context or a happy emotional context, and we didn't even ask you to feel any emotions. We just said, just pick three words and say them. Mm. But for most people, when they, when they give their body any kind of happy emotional context, there'll be a parasympath, there'll be a parasympathetic relaxation and the muscles will then, will then lengthen. And so, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll be more relaxed and you'll find you have an increased range of movement. Now, the really cool thing for you was that when we did that, the negative words gave you that relaxing, that relaxing feel. And what we, what we speculated on, and I think it's, I, I, it's the most plausible explanation I can come up with. And I, I think it's right is that you spent all those years in, you know, as a rugby player where it's, you know, it's quite combative and as you used your words where, you know, like you're getting prepped and ready to go out to battle. So, mm. you know, when you're firing yourself up in the sheds, like that is you at your, that's you at your peak. So you have gone and said a couple of some negative words, your brain's got an association with that sort of, you know, that aggressive pre-match buildup and like, yeah, I'm, I am good to go. This is as good as I get. And it gave you a far better response. Um, but this is why we need to ask the brain what mm. it needs because, you know, it's not always the textbook response. It's, it's all, it's very individual. Yeah. I think, and what's actually hearing it, obviously I've like been, I guess, like trying to put some of this stuff into practice over the last week or, or two weeks since we, we did it. And initially like that was the weirder one for me, but when I think yeah. about it more now, and as you describe it, I'm like, it, it go well actually it, it that one seems to make more sense not that the other one doesn't but just that it's it feels a little bit simpler to get head on and going yeah okay I, I can I can appreciate that particularly when you say happy words making us uh, a little bit more relaxed like parasympathetic mm. and we know that we can we can um, get into a greater range when we release um, some tension and we know that that shift towards parasympathetic can be quite um yeah, quite impactful in all areas of life and, and stress management and stuff. Whereas that just to, to go back on onto the the eye movement that people could just you you gave a really simple example there. People could now like as as you were and maybe they did it when you were talking, like try to make a big circle smooth with your eyes and see whether that's possible or not. Um, yeah, so just, if you take your yeah, take take your thumb and you can hold that in front of you and just put it low in your visual field. And you'll, you'll need to use both thumbs. You'll need to make one thumb meet the other. But you can create with your thumb, just make, with a straight arm, make one big revolution taking that thumb all the way around from the bottom of your visual field right out as far as you can, lateral in your bottom in your visual field, then high, and then change it over to the other side and around you go. And if you if the vision of your thumb gets blurry or jumpy or you, know, you kind of lose it, you know, here or there, you know that your eyes are, are jumping. You can video it and have a, and then watch it back and you can be quite surprised. Um, and if someone, if you know what you're looking for, the positions that those eyes jump in will then give you an idea about which muscles and, you know, what particularly, you know, potentially which fibres or which which muscles in the body are actually going to be experiencing some level of dysfunction. Mm. Would, I, would I be right in thinking, just ask one final question, would I be right in thinking rather than, because that's saying going to get quite complex and why someone would need to speak to, to, <laughs> okay. like, to someone yeah. like yourself. But if uh, for just more of a general pattern, like so extent, like global extension patterns, global flexion patterns, that um, eyes looking up be facilitating more global extension, eyes looking down flexion, is that correct? Um, I tend to work more with saccadic movement. So rather than go right. for, a, for an, an isometric eye position, um, work, work with sort of rapid eye movement. So it's just flicking the eyes side to side. So going side okay. to side, and it's a really cool, simple little drill. You can flick the eyes back and forth, side to side, so horizontal back and forth across the visual field, and that will typically fire the extensor chain more. And then yeah. going vertically, so up and down, you look really silly in the gym. Doing it. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you now, but the clients that I had doing in the gym, once they sort of started experiencing results with it, they kind of all got comfortable with it pretty quickly. But, yeah, so vertical saccade, so eyes flicking up and down. Pick two visual targets, you know, put your thumbs out high and low in your visual field or is, you know, is a simple way to do it or, you know, two thumbs side to side. Um, but, yeah, that's so side to side, horizontal for your extensor chain and vertical for your flexor chain. Cool. So someone could test that, like, really simply yeah. with, like, a forward fold yeah. or touching your toes. Yeah, completely, perfectly. completely. So you could do it, you could do it, and that's the thing with those ones, you can do that before the movement and then you can do it during the movement as well and it'll have an effect. Yeah. So my encouragement for people is just, like, try like, try something really simple, like, try and touch your toes, do then that vertical, like, flicking of the eyes and then see mm. see if it does, see if your brain likes it and see whether that makes a, makes a difference. And then if it does, it's going to just encourage you to explore different yeah. opportunities and different uh, options you've got.
I'm, I'm in danger of taking. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm in danger of taking us down that rabbit hole now because um, <laughs> I've got let's questions. Go, let's go dig um, do you, you know, <laughs> when, when you look at physiology, for the most part, as we are understanding more about it, you, we always probably come back to most things within the human body have a purpose and a reason, and, and there's some 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 kind of story or history behind why that was important for survival or threat um, perception, prediction, whatever it might be. But do we know from a primal perspective why the eyes have got such a link towards movement and is it is it around this 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 concept of just having a better understanding of us of our surroundings and our environment therefore gathering higher quality information so we can then elicit better quality movement great question timber it is a great question i'm not sure i've got the best answer for it but it's <laughs> so the eyes i would say the the eyes are actually a part of the brain that thousands and thousands of years ago made their way out of the brain and, and and basically now protrude out of the skull and so they're the only external part of the brain the only part of the brain that's actually outside the skull which is which is kind of cool but the the eyes actually developed not as part of the visual system they kind of actually developed as part of it's 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 an alertness it's part of an alertness system so it's 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 all about actually just actually making the system more alert and I'm not sure. I don't have the right, a great answer on on how that on on how we evolved and how those those muscles actually um, became so intimately linked with the neuromuscular system in the body. I just know that I just know that they are. Um, but it's just it's, it is a fascinating topic to sort of dive into, and it's fascinating to actually look at it and see how it plays out. Um, you know, and to think that you can just put your eyes in one particular position, you can make yourself stronger or weaker or move more effectively. Um, and then that we also have all these different links to trauma, which can kind of hide behind the eyes and whatnot as well. Um, and so, and that is one of the reasons when people go and do these eye exercises and there's certain positions that they just can't hit a lot of the time, very, very often it'll be because there's a, there's a trauma hidden in the system, uh, and the eyes just can't go there. It's like, they don't want to look at that position. They just don't want to take you there and, and actually reference that, that position. And then potentially if the eyes do go there, then again, you'll, you'll, um, you'll experience physiological neuromuscular dysfunction in the body as a, as a result of that, as a link to that trauma. Yeah. This is one thing which I think is becoming this, this year, which I'm, this, I want to talk about 2020 and the effect it's had later on in the podcast. But this is something which I think I'm personally experiencing. And I'm sure a lot of other people were, I did about five hours on zoom yesterday, like in, in one go and I finished off mm. in the evening and my head is just like foggy. <laughs> I can't, my eyes feel like they're just fatigued. They're tired. And one thing I've not done before, which again, Jack had mentioned the work we've done with, with Z Health, but like pencil push-ups and like you say, the saccades and, and actually when you're fixed in front of a computer for that amount of time, staring at the same focal point and then you move away from it, it feels like I just can't, I'm not functioning well. And I think I mm. need to increase the amount of time I'm giving, whether it's five minutes or whatever, just to do some of this eye movement. Because I think there's so many of us are just sat in the same environment, staring at a screen for hours and hours on end. And what do you do when you finish your Zoom meetings where you continue to go and do the work that came out of the Zoom meetings? So we're just like, <laughs> it's getting worse, right? And I just think there's, it sounds really weird. And when I started to hearing more about it and understanding, I was like, this is something a little bit out there from what my normal training practice might look like. But when you start to understand the benefits and how the brain is using the eyes to gather that information, as you say, it's the, it's the visual part of the brain or the part of the brain outside of the skull. You're thinking, well, yeah, five minutes or so. And, and these, are, these you don't need a lot of time on this, right? These could be quite quick drills, but you are literally just kind of mm. continuing to, if you go back to real basic principles, it's, I kind of see it as use it or lose it. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely that. that look, I would also say with that, like you're, you're touching on stress is what you're touching on. And, um, and essentially when you touch on, when you're touching on stress, if the, as soon as the brain goes into stress, it's going to try it. So remember number one priority is always survival. So if you put the organism under stress, the brain is, it's, it's going to do everything it can to get you out of there to try and keep you safe. So if it perceives that you're under some level of threat or that, you know, that you are stressing the system by sitting in front of this screen and just staring into the other people on the other side of this zoom meeting for hours on, on end, it's, it's going to try and distract you. You'll start to find that there's something out the window that's really appealing to look at. You know, you'll find that, you know, like, I think I heard a noise somewhere or you'll, you know, you'll start getting visceral sensations thinking like, oh, geez, I need to go to the bathroom. Like your brain will try and get you out of there. It'll send you all these signals to try, to try and distract you, to move you, to get you to move, get you to do something different and get away from that which is stressing the system. So there's, there's something that I just I advise people on. It's a really simple drill and so what I call it basically just a whole brain posture. And what you're doing is you're trying to just balance out the hemispheres of the brain. And so what happens is when we get in, when we get into stress, 
the corpus callosum, which is the bridge between those two lobes, the two hemispheres, your left and your right hemispheres, it's almost like that corpus callosum, it's like it tightens up and experiences tension. And so it's like it's there's like uh, there's this bridge of communication that's like 200, 200 million dendrites that, that, that cross back and forth from one hemisphere to the, to the other. And when, the, when that bridge of communication kind of experiences stress and kind of almost blocks up, it's like you lose communication from one side to the other and you kind of become polarized either on one side of the one side of the brain and you become a little bit overly emotional or you on the other side of your, of your brain and you become a little bit uh, overly analytical and and you know you you tend to overthink and get a bit and get more anxious and what you can do is just do a simple drill and try and just open up that bridge again and just allow the allow the activity on either hemisphere to just balance out and when you are when you create a whole brain state when you do it, when you take it to an, to its to its logical and perfect end, you can't experience stress. You just you don't experience stress in a whole brain state. So something you can do is like for about two minutes is what I advise people: cross one ankle over the other, cross one wrist over the other, put the palms together and interlace the fingers, and then just sit just sit for about two minutes and and just allow. So because and the reason you're doing that and the and the way that works is if you take your right hand. And your right hand is controlled from your left motor cortex. When you take that right hand and then you go and place it onto your, say, let's take you take it across the midline and touch something on the left side of your body, you're now lighting up the right sensory cortex. So now you have your your left motor cortex and your right sensory cortex uh, kind of lit up. And you do the same with the left hand, which is controlled from the right side, the right motor cortex, take that across to the right side of the body and you're, you're lighting up the left sensory cortex. Now you've got both, you've got all these hemispheres kind of talking and then you just sit there and relax and just allow the communication to take place and just let the brain just balance itself out. And there's all kinds of cool kind of weird voodoo drills you can do around that to sort of show how that's happening. But essentially what you'll experience is you'll just relax and you'll find that, you know, potentially, you know, your your vision just normalizes and a whole bunch of other physiological functions just actually normalize and you can get back to functioning again. So I love that. So I'm sat now with my, my ankles crossed and I've got yep. basically my palms touching each other crossed over. That's right. My fingers yep. linked perfect. together. Yep. Perfect. And so it's a really, really, if you're, if you're in, on a zoom meeting and you've actually got to present and sit there, nobody knows you're doing anything weird or a bit strange because you've got your ankles and your, and your, your wrists crossed underneath the table. But what you'll experience is that you can actually just, you, you'll, it, you will recover brain processing capacity because when you are stressed, what happens is we, we essentially we lose a degree of access to the conscious mind. We lose a degree of access to the, the prefrontal cortex, which is the most highly evolved part of the brain and kind of that which makes us human. And when you lose that and blood gets shunted to the brainstem, which is the most ancient part of the brain, it's kind of the reptilian brain, and we become more reflexive and, and essentially we're more reflexive, more reactive, and, and, and we're a lot, we're, we basically just fall back onto these survival plat- patterns. And so that's when we're kind of more in fight or flight and we're, we're literally just, you know, all of our reactions are based, geared towards survival. So if you're sitting there trying to actually, you know, engage and speak with other humans and, and, and educate uh, to some level and you've lost access to the con- conscious mind, well, you know, you're, you're doing that and essentially you're, you're less intelligent at that point while you're trying to do it. So you can just do this simple little drill you can recover access to the conscious mind and you'll find that you can just relax and speak far more calmly. Love it. Yeah. Good I mean, yeah, there's some great <laughs> stuff to take away. I like these little sort of, um, this is where, where some of this sort of stuff I think is really powerful because we all, we all know that for like humans and behavior change is quite a big thing. Getting people to go and try something new, which is sort of like a little bit of a, um, like it's a bit of a stretch in terms of shifting into dedicating real time to a different way of training or a different routine or, or something like mm. that. It's they're quite big changes for people to make, but some simple stuff like this, like can you mm. finish with a Zoom call and can you just spend a couple of minutes just doing some some eyes movements of cards or can you just sit in this in this posture? Or mm. most people who sat on a Zoom meeting with a pen in their hand, like just doing some kind of focus work and using a pen, or as you say, your thumbs or whatever it might be, to do some eye circles. I just think that those are, are really good little hacks, which all mm. you've got to do is just be conscious about making five minutes to think about it or less to do it. And I think those are, in terms of, of giving your brain what it needs, you said asking the questions as, as to what the central nervous system needs. Um, these are really simple things to, to put in, which is, which is making changes at the very 
like central part as you said that central processor which affects everything else it's it's almost like a <laughs> the words came to mind and i've caught them back but i'm going to release them it's almost like a no-brainer which is just <laughs> not the right i, I see what i see what you did there yeah. <laughs> it was completely unintentional i didn't want to okay. i didn't want to go there i didn't want to go there but i did so um, I, I might have to use that on social at some point that's fantastic. <laughs> sorry yeah, but yeah, I, yeah. I, I, sorry, I was going to say just add to that and say that like exactly what you said is 100 percent right they these are just simple little hacks so to speak but they can be really impactful and if you are going to live consciously and you and you're actually going to employ them you can make a big difference and because you did mention that we've just jumped in the rabbit hole with that stuff you you, you're basically scratching the surface and just starting to see that there is so much more available Mm. so i would just encourage people to use that stuff try it see if it has an effect for you and then realize you you barely scratch the surface. There's so much more still available. So you know, dive in and try it. See what it does for you. And if you like it, then you know, get curious and get curious and look for more. Yeah. Can we go on and talk a bit about um, about you, you touched on stress before, Scott? And I mm. think this is where I wanted to go with a little bit of this uh, the, the chat today around. Um, 2020 has probably been a really stressful for, year for a lot of people. Um, loads of mm-hmm. uncertainty. We touched on before we came um, on air. We we talked about the political situation around the world as well, adding to that level of, of of uncertainty, insecurity, just not knowing what the hell is going on, and and being in a place where we are completely sort of living in a time which none of us have got any previous experience or context for whatsoever mm. so when it comes to stress just talk can you talk to us a little bit about stress from a physiological level about what's actually happening and then any sort of any things that we can we can do again these sort of like little fixes that people can be wary of because i think the, the key for me with, with some of this stuff is as you touched on at this top level is things that you can try but it's there's so much people have got going on adding something of of an hour's practice of something else in a day is probably unrealistic but have we got any ways mm. where we can properly just kind of affect our neurophysiology a little bit more to help us manage stress and then ultimately move and, and or just perform better in our day-to-day lives yeah there's there's so much that we can do and i think that exactly what we touched on before the fact that you lose brain processing capacity is why the 20 is probably one of the reasons why 2020 has been such a challenging year for so many people because you've got all these challenges and you don't have the brain processing capacity to deal with it because everybody's dealing with stress. So literally you've got huge amounts of the population walking around less intelligent than they, than they normally would be because they've lost access to the, to the prefrontal cortex and the conscious mind to a degree. So what we're talking about with stress is the, the body is always trying to get back to homeostasis. It's just trying to get back to balance. So people are aware that we have an autonomic nervous system your autonomic nervous system has two has two divisions. You've got your sympathetic nervous system and your parasympathetic nervous system. So your parasympathetic nervous system is your rest and digest. So you know rest and digest or rest and repair. So that's where we're literally just you know we're regenerating tissues and we're in, you know literally the body's rebuilding itself and you know we're digesting and we can just recover. You know and there's there's a balance of that. You don't want to be all the way parasympathetic all the time. Um, and then you've got your sympathetic nervous system, which is your fight or flight nervous system. And so essentially when you're in fight or flight, the, the example everybody gives is, you know, that in, in, in years gone by, if you're out in the bush and, you, you know, a tiger popped out on the track behind you and all of a sudden you had to run away, well, that's your system shifts into fight or flight, you know, in a split second and you are racing and trying to, you know, literally trying to flee for your life. Um, and so when that happens, your body shuts down, it shuts down the digestive processes and it, it shuts down all the reproductive function and, it, and, and then literally like cells in the lungs reproduce at a, at a phenomenal rate. So you can take on more oxygen and you can give yourself a greater chance of, of running at, a, at higher speed for a longer period of time and, and increase your survival chances. And there's all of these different special biological programs in the body, which become active. And they're meant to be active to save our life or to sort of, you know, get us out of that situation. And But we've evolved with those situations only lasting for a period of seconds to minutes where you're trying to run away from a predator. And what we have, you know, in modern society and, and in particular this year is you've got these stresses which are impacting us and making those same biological programs which are only designed to run for periods of, of, of minutes or, you know, maybe hours um, running for months and months and months and, and possibly years for some people. So, and when that happens, then we be, then we get tissue breakdown and then we get you know we we, we have increased instances instances of disease and we've got you know literally like human health you know takes a takes a big downturn. So, 
that's like that's a really huge consideration. And and as I was saying before, like that you can't underestimate just how big of an impact it is on society as a whole that you've got such a large chunk of the population walking around literally less intelligent. And you've only got to look at the number of people that were in the supermarkets like stockpiling toilet paper. And I, and I don't begrudge any of them. There's absolutely no judgment in any of that because it's it's just a reflexive reaction. It's a fear reaction. And literally, you know, it make, it, you can look at it, you know, rationally and say that makes no sense. There's no problem with the food supply. Why are people stockpile, stockpiling toilet paper and thinking that's going to that's going to solve the situation for them. But when you've lost access to the conscious mind, that probably makes a whole lot of sense that, you know, everybody else is doing it. I should, I, maybe I should stockpile loo roll, um, you know, and people were out, you know, literally, you know, exhibiting all of these, these crazy behaviors, um, you know, and, and essentially if we can, re- when we can calm ourselves down and regain access to the conscious mind, then we can look at all of those behaviors and go like, oh, that was, wow, that really was a stress response. You know, that's, that wasn't the most intelligent course of action that, you know, that we undertook there, you know, and, and, and we can, we look at it from that context. It's, it's really, really clear. So there are a few things that we can do. There are a few things that are really simple that we can do. And so number one, simple little hacks, like we said, that little whole brain posture, that's, that's a really fantastic thing to do you know, before you're going to go and try and make any decisions. If you're feeling on edge or stressed, it's probably worthwhile just sitting down for a minute or two and just see if you can get those hemispheres of the brain, get the brain activity just balanced just a little bit and you'll find that you can actually think more clearly. Simple things like grounding, you know, so earthing or grounding, contacting your feet, your bare feet with the earth or just sitting on the ground, going to the park and just contacting with the earth. What you do when you do that is you equilibrate your the autonomic nervous system tone of the body with the tone of the earth and the earth is resonating at, at Schumann's resonance, which is 7.83 Hertz, which is just very calming and very relaxing. So you can literally step on the earth and I have a little voltmeter that I show clients with this. Um, and, and this kind of goes to that end of where we touched on with the um, non-native electromagnetic fields in flexibility is we're walking around in Wi-Fi and we're walking around in 3G, 4G, 5G in some areas and there's devices, you know, always on and that's electricity there's electromagnetic fields that we are bathed in that we didn't evolve with and they're digital signals. And essentially Beverly Rubick, who's a frontier scientist in the States, her words were that, you know, these are all digital signals and you're an analog being like you, you can't adapt to those signals. And so your body is absorbing all of that, that electro, those electromagnetic fields and that energy, and you're just walking around with extra voltage. And so you can kind of think if you pump your system with extra voltage you're going to get muscles and tissues to fire more and there's going to be an increased level of tension in the body. So when you step on the earth, literally about 90% of that excess is just going to just earth itself out like, like a lightning rod functions when lightning strikes a house um, and you will become more relaxed. So that is a fantastic and really simple way to bring the body back to balance that we've pretty much all got access to. Does that need really to be, simple thing. Uh, Scott, does that need to be shoes off? Yes, yes, you need to choose because a rubber sole will insulate that very quickly. And then, there, and then it needs to be the natural earth, not like the street tarmac. So or... you can, you would look. You can step on the concrete, and you'll still have an effect. You'll have the strongest effect will be um, at, the, at the beach near the ocean, um, you know, or near running water. So strongest, the, the strongest effect will be there, but you'll still get an effect. You don't, you don't have to, you know, get anxious or worry about getting the, you know, the getting yeah. the, the absolute optimal. You'll still get an amazing effect if you just go and sit. You don't even have to take your shoes off if you want to go sit in the park and just rest your hands on the on the ground. You'll you'll get the effect if you just contact the earth that way. So, and if you can't do that, if you can't get out of the office, then you can go online and buy yourself an earthing mat, or buy, you know, buy an earthing mat or, or an earthing kit, and you can literally just put that under your keyboard so you're you're always connected. And, and that's a really simple way to look after yourself. I think that's great. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I've, I've started training more outdoors. I've, I don't have a gym membership anymore, and um, it's getting mm. into winter. But I'm just—I um, did a session to the night, and it was—it's was sort of dark outside. I've got some lights in my in my back garden, but um, just that that sense of being outdoors. And okay, I might have got an extra hoodie on than what I would normally wear in the gym, but getting away from. Because if you, if you go to a gym environment, there's monitors everywhere and there's Wi-Fi and there's electric machines. Mm. You're still in the same space, right? I just it, it mm. just kind of it's echoing to me 
why I feel good when I train outdoors. And, and this is one of the great things that we love about calisthenics. I, I started calisthenics by the sea. It was, that was the reason I wanted to train outdoors and look at the ocean. Mm. Um, and it was, it was the perfect form of training to do that because you need so little equipment. Um, mm. Yeah, it's great. Well, and one thing the other really the, cool oh, thing. Oh, yeah, sorry. Go on. I'll just you, say one, one little cool thing you can do with uh, training at home in the backyard. You can test that with flexibility. And that's something that people can do for themselves as well. Go and do your check a range of movement inside, you know, where there's Wi-Fi and you're not connected to the earth. And then just go out with bare feet in the backyard and just see if your range of movement's different. And, I'll, you know, I'm pretty confident you'll experience a difference. So, that, and that's something I see when I put clients on, a, on an earthing mat when you're, when you're training. Um, you'll see a difference in range of movement because you're just removing all of that excess voltage from the system. Nice. I was going to just, um, the th- when you were talking about stress, it reminded me of, um, we had Dana Santos mentioned something on the podcast the other day. Um, and this is a, sort of a, trying to give like a bit of a take-home message for people or around like awareness of going like, because you have different people are aware to different degrees right and um we're all mm. on a various different sort of journeys on that but <laughs> some people are super stressed and know they're stressed some people are stressed but don't really equate those things to stress like have terrible sleep but think that that's yep. just normal um yep. and that type of stuff and, and she said around that sort of being in that stress state if um the type of person if you're the type of person that um when someone comes into the room it like you like jump up you like oh like it, it it scares you it shocks you like she was like you're not in that scenario, someone just walking into the room shouldn't, if you're in like in a nice balanced state, like that shouldn't freak you out and make you mm. make you jump. Um, which I thought was quite a nice one to get. Like, am I am I that type of am I that type of person? Is is sort of a, quite a good question to to ask. And then without my last question is uh, I wasn't going to ask this, and then it, it, it ties in and, and it's a rabbit hole. So we can feel free to sort of park this and, and not go down that rabbit hole. Um, was when you were talking about um, connecting to uh, like the reptile brain or make that, that conscious mm. um, state there and around like the, the stress response as part of that. I've been listening to quite a few um, interviews of Wim Hof. Um, mm. I'm, guess, have you, I'm guessing or hoping that you've yeah, heard familiar. of him, otherwise we can stop yeah. it from there. Um, and he was, <laughs> he was, he was saying and trying to articulate that, but this was my understanding of what he was saying, that his um, one aspect of his technique is the, the 30 breaths of, of hyperventilation to stimulate a stress response to help us connect better to that part of the brain to then be able to manage it better rather than being disconnected from it. And um, mm. a lot of the stuff he was talking about is like being using nature to get better connected to that. Is, is mm. that, is that, are we, am, am I right? In, is that, are we talking about a similar type of thing? Have you, or how does that? Oh, oh look, I approach it a different way, but look, I mean, Wim Hof's very successful and I, I certainly, you know, I agree with, you know, pretty much everything that the guy talks about. But um, so I think essentially what we're talking about with stress is it comes back? It comes back to and like pretty much everything in the nervous system, everything in the body, it comes back to thought. There's literally this thought energy is it's the base. It's the base. It's the root of everything. Um, and the more I've gone into things, the, the deeper I've dived down the rabbit hole. That's kind of where it goes. It all leads you there. And so essentially, stress is based on your perception. So if you perceive something as being stressful, well, you'll have a stress response. If you perceive something as being calming, relaxing or loving, well, you'll have a very different response. And we have control over our perceptions. And so this is part of the work that I do when I'm doing these stress transformations is, you know, you're literally taking an individual and you're just changing the, you're changing the perception of stressful stimuli. And the really cool thing when you do that with people is you just get this very bewildered, confused look on the other on the other side of the screen with people when you ask them to try and, you know, connect with their stress. And you know, when you did that at the start of the session, you say, "Look, I want you to connect connect with this stressful situation you've been experiencing," and they'll say, "Got it," because it's because they've got that pathway so hardwired yeah. that it takes them a split second to find it. And then when you finish and you've changed the perception. You ask them to connect with it because you need to test and check that they, you know, have they how successfully have they done it. And you can see them searching visual their visual field and looking around and then looking confused and then saying like, you know, some people will just say it's not there, I can't find it. Other people will be disbelieving and then look at you and say, it's definitely there. I'm sure it's definitely. There. I, I just can't yeah. find it right now. <laughs> but 
you know, and that goes back to what you were saying about some people being aware and some people being less aware. But but essentially, it all comes back to perception, and that's the thing. And your your body has uh, has programs written for each for each perception of a of of a different stimulus, you know. And if it's a you know if it's a a, a beautiful girl and you perceive that as you know as a as a wonderful good thing, you'll have one very specific response for that. Uh, and if it's a stressful situation, then you'll have a number of other different stressful stress responses for that. But but the amazing thing is that the mind is absolutely limitless and we have power to change all of that which so we don't have to be we don't have to be a slave to our mm. to our stress responses and we we're, we're not we're never stuck in a stressful situation you know i think that the message that it, that is probably the best one to go out is that you know even when you lose access to the conscious mind and you personally can't think your way out of a stressful situation you know sometimes all you really need to do is just kind of you recognize like I don't have the tools available at this point because I am in that, that reptilian brain and I don't, I just can't figure this out. So I'm just going to reach out and ask somebody like, you know, who knows who can help me, who can guide me where, you know, to a drill an exercise, a person, someone who can actually help me recover some of that brain processing capacity. Mm -hmm. And the more of that, that I get back, well, then the more that I can, you know, I can actually be a, an active participant in my own journey as I sort of return the system back to balance. Sometimes it can be as simple as just time, right? That literally mm. that, that when that's what I was thinking when you said like that, uh, it, it never lasts, like whatever stressful situation you're in at, at some point, it's gonna, it's good. Time is going to do its job and, and take it away from you because things just, things change and things move on. But when we're in that state, you almost can't think, you like you say, you can't think straight and you can't actually yeah, take yeah, some, take you, some time. You, Let time yeah. do its thing. Is even sometimes I know that's not obviously always the case, but definitely time is going to go on and things are going to change. Hmm. Yeah. Well, and even uh, even even just acknowledging to yourself that that like the the time that is a thing. You can literally just sit there and you know the world isn't going to collapse and fall apart in the ne- in the next five minutes. So I've got I've got time to figure this out. There's no reason why I need to have a snap decision made in the next in the next five minutes. But as I said, all all of that it, it literally does come back to that thought because. When we say it's thought energy, thought in your subconscious mind, your subconscious mind is like a child's mind. It's a little kid. It doesn't, it doesn't question. So that conscious mind we talk about that's more highly evolved, that conscious mind that you know, we're, we're using now, that argues. That argues and it, and it, and it thinks critically and it, you know, and, and it looks at things and it, and it looks for angles and, it, and it, it looks to try and find flaws and finds problems with. The subconscious mind doesn't do that. It's, the subconscious mind is like that little kid that, you know, mum and dad tell the little kid that, you know, they can say that, you know, that, that sheep moo, you know, and that they don't bar, they moo. And the kid doesn't, doesn't question it. Just says, oh, okay, great. Like it'll believe 100% what mum and dad tell it because it's young and impressionable. And, and that's what the subconscious mind is like. So when a thought goes into the subconscious mind, that becomes a belief. And then that belief becomes a rule. And that's a rule that all the subconscious programs are kind of written from. And so there's this whole matrix of rules that create this framework of programs that within that, that whole, that, that framework of programs contains all of our emotional reactions and our stress responses. So when you strip it right back, it comes back to those thoughts that go into the subconscious mind because they set up our perceptions. And so if we can get into that and then change the perceptions, well, then that changes our stress response and life's very different. Scott, I've, I've got, I've got, nice. mate. Honestly, I've got hours worth of questions for you. But, um, we might have to get you on for this part too, because I don't know if we're going to get through them all today. But can I just, off, off the back of that question, um, mm. or that point you make, can you think yourself into pain? Yes, as in one hundred percent. Pain is a cycle which you believe you're going to be in pain when you do a certain thing. Therefore, when you do that thing, you're in pain, and you've got to, you've yep. got to somehow. That, that's a real thing, right? Yep, absolutely. Yes, you can. You can, your mind can create whatever, what, whatever you choose, you know, and, and, and I guess the thing is to realize just how powerful your mind is. You know, I mean, I have people that I work with that, you know, are in chronic pain states and, you know, and sometimes like we become so identified with the pain, we become so identified with, you know, that, like that being a part of who we are, that people can't let it go. And as much as they want to be out of pain, because it's a familiar place, the brain and the subconscious mind sees some level of benefit in staying where they are and they can literally just recreate pains. They can pain, they can recreate symptoms for themselves and just, and, and then convince themselves that they're still in that, that state. Whereas when you go and look at the, the neurophysiology and you scan your way through the body and you can look at it and you can see we've cleared all this, this is all absolutely fine. There's no reason for this to come back, but literally the person's just recreating it. 
Um, and, and then similarly, you can do the same thing. You can literally just take, take the mind and you can increase the level of control that you have and you can, um, you can literally take pain away. And I just had one of those moments with a client today, which was, you know, it's beautiful when it happens, but we just got to the point with things with her that um, it was very clear that it was, she was able to, there was some mild little pain in her leg and I just gave her the, the cues and just told her what to think about and then the pain just disappeared. And she was pretty freaked out by it, I have to say. But, um, but happy. But, yeah, but, but then once she calmed down and realised that was actually a really good thing, she's like, you know, she was, she's like, that's amazing. She's like, I just literally just fixed a pain in my leg. Like it's gone. And, you know, we all have that power. We all have that ability to, to do that. And so, you know, there's just not much that we can't change, that we can't affect. So, and, and you know, the, the more people sort of wake up, you know, wake up to that and, um, and realize that that's a thing. Well, I think, you know, when people talk about this whole collective and conscious evolution that's going on and how 2020 is a, potentially a big catalyst for that, that's kind of where it's going. There's just, there's so much more available to us um, and it's just tapping into it and, and literally starting to see what's available. And when you see what's available, well, then you're on the edge of the rabbit hole and it's time to dive in. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Well, I'm going to save another question um, that I've got for you because I reckon there's probably a round two. So for the people yeah. listening, if they want to, if they've enjoyed the conversation and they want us to get Scott back on the podcast then just let us know on social, like take a screenshot of you listening to the, wherever it is in your car or on your phone or on your computer, wherever it might be, take a screenshot, post it, tag us in, give Scott some, some, some love. And, um, and if there's, if the appetite is there, then we would love to get him back on because we've taught one thing we were, we're going to save, I'm going to tease you with where I want to go with this. <laughs> but what I want to do is we've talked a lot about getting back to as you mentioned before equilibrium let's find our homeost- homeostasis getting back from pain or moving a little bit better or getting back to what the body and the brain should be able to do but what i would love to talk about in part two was how do we take it on from there there's something that you talk about around um, tapping into intuitive wisdom and higher intelligence mm. and how do we operate at a better level because i think that's where we all want to be but we're just so much yep. in this state at the moment of swamped by everything that's going on and dealing with our baggage of movement and all that sort of stuff but if we can get through that how do we then go and press on and, and i think you've you've sort of talked about you're enjoying your best expression of of yourself so that would be if people are interested that's where i'd love to go with the part two well if i can add to if i can add to the teaser then if we're going if we're going to go down that, that <laughs> part is the rabbit hole so well then essentially what you're talking about i'll just in, in in sort of you know 25 words or less you have we have one mind but we've divided it up into three parts we've and we've talked a lot about the conscious mind we've talked a lot about the subconscious mind but we also have a superconscious mind and that superconscious mind, which we all have and we all have access to, is literally connected to all of the information in the universe. So if you have that connection, then you can literally, you can literally download information into the brain um, and then you can use that. You can use that to actually make the right decisions in your life and find out what's right for you, what path you're meant to be on, what are you supposed to be doing, what, what foods should be eating. You can literally, there's, no, there's no limit to where you can take to, you know, where, where you can't take it to. So yeah, if you guys want to get back and talk about mm. the superconscious and what we can do with that, like yep, let's let's accelerate the, the the conscious evolution of humanity in 2020. There shouldn't be a person out there listening who doesn't want to know more about that. <laughs> it's like, so, I was like, the superconscious is that like Superman's mind? <laughs> yeah, as, trailer, as trailers go, that's better than a James Bond trailer for me. I'm more excited yeah. about this than the next James Bond movie. So we uh, we definitely need to uh, to hook that up. Well, interestingly, to a friend of ours, Mary, she was reading a book about the superconscious. Um, mm. That yeah. was like, it's just weird for me when like you have a conversation with someone in Australia, like Scott, and then like a week later, a friend. Well, she's an American. She's like, oh yeah, no, I'm reading this book about the superconscious man. I'm like, this is like you say, a rabbit hole is the greatest way to describe some of those things. <laughs> it's, it's a thing, Jacko. If two oh, people read a book about it, it's um, a thing. Flipping, I'm all <laughs> over it. Um, I just want to say massive thank you, Scott, uh, obviously for what you did with me before, but then uh, taking the time to come on the podcast for us now. Um, if, I'm sure people will have a lot of questions. Obviously, um, as Tim said, get in contact with us, get in contact with Scott. Um, we'll put links in the show notes to your Instagram and your um, website. But like from me, like a, just a, a massive thank you for, I love what you're doing. And I just love the way you are able to articulate this stuff so that people like myself can feel like we're getting a grasp of understanding of what otherwise can be completely mind boggling. But at the same time, it is, as like Tim said, it's real. It's a real thing. These things, even mm. if they're a little bit out there for us, but I think you articulate it in a, in a very 
um, very easy to digest uh, way. So thank you for that. And I'm sure the listeners will appreciate it massively as well. Where can people find you? Uh, so the brain guy, the dot brain dot guy on Instagram and Facebook, or just the brain co website. And so, you know, always happy to chat, um, happy to try and answer questions. Um, you know, if, if we're expanding, if we're blowing minds and expanding awareness, <laughs> then uh, I'm, I'm right up for that. You're in. <laughs> Great. So go, go, uh, go give Scott a follow, uh, go check out some of the stuff that he's doing. Um, and yet you are doing some amazing stuff um, with, 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 uh, you told me a story about, um, some of the brain injury sort of successes you're having with people that have suffered, um, yeah, quite traumatic injuries and yeah, things. And you do, yeah, you're doing some, you're doing some amazing stuff. So uh, hats off to Cheers, you, mate. No worries, Cheers, mate. So let us know if you want us to get Scott back on. But for we really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to it as always. But until next time, we've got nothing else to say other than class dismissed. So thank you so much again for listening. We don't take it lightly that you uh, give up probably an hour of your time to listen to these podcasts. So we really do appreciate that. We hope you got a lot of value out of it, guys. And we would, if you did, we would love you to do a couple of things for us. One of them is tell other people and share it if you thought that we were adding some value. And also, if you want to, pop over to iTunes or wherever you're listening to this and give us a five-star review. We like five stars. Four stars, not as good. Keep it five are the best. Five of your best stars, please. <laughs> and if you would like to find out more about the School of Calisthenics and see the best of everything that we have got, head over to our virtual classroom. You can access it from the website at schoolofcalisthenics.com. And that is where we have got literally, possibly, the best calisthenics resource available anywhere in the world. It's definitely the best one we've done. And on that note, until next week, class dismissed. <laughs>